And our scripture reading for this morning is Romans 12, verses 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet, good to be with you this morning, uh, whether you're online or you're here. Um, so this was posted several years ago on a Craigslist ad in New York, and here's what, I, here's what someone wrote. Okay, I'm tired of being around the bush. I'm a beautiful, spectacularly beautiful old girl. I'm articulate and classy. I'm looking to get married to a guy who makes at least a half a million a year. I know how that sounds, but keep in mind that a million a year is middle class in New York City. So I don't think I'm overreaching at all. Are there any guys who make 500,000 or more on this board? Any wives? Could you send me some tips? I date a businessman who makes an average of around 200 to 250,000, but that's where I seem to hit a roadblock. 250,000 won't get me to Central Park West. I know a woman in my yoga class who is married to an investment banker and lives in Tribeca, and she's not as pretty as I am, nor is she a great genius. So what is she doing right? How do I get to her level? Please hold your insults. I'm putting myself out there in an honest way. Most beautiful women are superficial. At least I'm being upfront about it. Good. You're with me, even in the mass. All right. I wouldn't be searching for these kind of guys if I wasn't able to match them in looks, culture, sophistication, and keeping a nice home and hearth. And check this. There's a reply. Here's the reply. I read your posting with great interest and have thought meanfully about your dilemma. I offer the following analysis of your predicament. Firstly, I'm not wasting your time. I qualify as a guy who fits your bill. That is, I make more than 500000 per year. That said, here's how I see it. You offer, from the perspective of a guy like me, is a plain and simple, crappy business deal. Here's why. What you suggest is a simple trade. You bring your looks to the party, and I bring my money. Fine. Simple. But here's the rub. Your looks will fade and my money will likely continue into perpetuity. In fact, it is very likely that my income increases, but it is an absolute certainty that you won't be getting any more beautiful. So in economic terms, you are a depreciating asset, and I am an earning asset. So in Wall Street terms, we would call you a trading position, not a buy and hold, hence the rub marriage, it doesn't make good business sense to buy you, which is what you're asking. So I'd rather lease, end quote. Well, what do you think? Here's a simple question for the day. Is that genuine love? Right? No. Not even close. We, we see this transactional brazenness to it, right? We see this sense of what's in it for me? What are you going to bring to the party? How are you going to enhance my life? We see this dynamic of a conditional sense to it. If you have this, then I will love you. Well, what does this have to do with our passage today? Well, almost everything, because 
Our passage today is one in which the Apostle Paul calls those who have been called out by this good news of Jesus to be a community not marked by a transactional or a conditional love, but a genuine love, the real thing. It's interesting, when you look through the Gospels, one example is in John 13. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It reminds me of that great t-shirt, this is a number of years ago, that said, you know, and they will know we are Christians by our t-shirts, right? No, 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 that's not, that's not what Jesus said. That's the irony of it, right? It was love, a particular kind of love. And this is what Paul's talking about in this passage. He's getting underneath it. What is this genuine love? And here's the main idea. In light of the genuine love that God has shown you in the gospel, he calls his people to be a community that is marked by that same love. So three things today. Firstly, what is genuine love? Secondly, what does genuine love do? And thirdly, where do we get the resources to live that out? So let's pray and we'll get in. Heavenly Father, um, we need your help. We need your assistance today. We are tainted by all types of love. And oftentimes they're marked by what's in it for me. And Lord, we pray that you would, by the work of your spirit through your word, that you would shape and form us to be a distinct community that displays in some measure the genuine love that you've shown us in your son. Amen. Well, what is genuine love? Look at verse 9. It begins this way. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You know, all three of those statements, they're really short, pithy statements. They're all about one thing. They're about truth. The first phrase, let love be genuine. It's literally the the original language is the word in which we get the word unhypocritical. It means our love for others ought to be through and through. Um, Recently, we just laid some engineered hardwood floors in our house. And if you know anything about engineered hardwood, it means it's not hardwood all the way through. It has three to seven millimeters of hardwood on the surface, but then underneath is plywood. In other words, it has a veneer. It's not the same through and through. What Paul's saying here is we our love is to be marked by one that is not an engineered love, that has a veneer of politeness, warmth, and niceness on the surface, but simply covers up on the inside a spirit of envy, gossip, prejudice, or malice. Let's be honest for a moment. We're in the Midwest. We're really good at the engineered love, aren't we? You know, people move here from different parts of the nation. I remember somebody moving out here from the West. Like, everybody's so nice here, you know? And a little bit you're like, yeah, they are. But, right, there's a dynamic where it can be engineered. It can be polite on the outside, 
warm, but on the inside, sometimes even comes out in words that are cutting and degrading, right? Now, here's the interesting part. I would say in some measure, all of us in our relationships with others, there are some people in which it is kind of easier to love. It's easier to have a genuine love through and through. But here's the rub in this passage. Is that in the book of Romans, the original audience is dealing with the division between Gentiles and Jewish Christians on a number of issues. Actually, we'll hit these later in the fall when we get into chapters 12 to 14. But here's what that means in the very inception is this. Is this genuine love? You cannot pick and choose who you offer it towards. Isn't that interesting? Do you not feel just a tad bit challenged by that? In other words, you can't say, well, I'm going to offer genuine love to those who match my political ideology. Right? It means as you're checking your Facebook or your Instagram and you're seeing that person that joins you on a Sunday and you see what they posted about this particular political situation that's complete opposite of you, there's a little bit of like, how could they? How could they think that? How could they believe that? It means actually right there, right there, you are called to a love that is not one filled with malice toward them. And I hope you understand. Like, listen for a moment. If you don't understand your need, if you don't understand your incapacity to do that, then you haven't listened to what this mark of genuine love is. In other words, I'm trying to tell you, you can't do it. You can't conjure this up. That's why we're going to get to point three later, where, where the resources are. But I want you to understand, this call is deep, and it is wide, and it spans to everyone. Paul is saying that this gospel is to create a community in which there is no veneer, but through and through it is a genuine, unhypocritical love towards all. <laughs> but notice what Paul says next. He says, Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We live in a day and age in which truth is relative, right? In which truth is determined by each person individually. And therefore, in a day and age in which the modern conception is truth is determined by the self, this can't happen. Paul's saying this, sometimes genuine love, here's, here's what can happen. It can, it can actually grow false when, when we love someone so much that it can distort our view of good and evil. Listen, one of the problems with our culture is this, is if truth is determined by the self, if each person determines what's true for them, if you simply let them choose what is best, there's a problem with that. And let me, let me just be a little bit, um, I think every parent, if you're a parent here, you kind of know this what the problem is with that. So I'll give you a story. So many, many years ago, there was a season of parenting our kids in which one of our kids, when we would tell them no, would get angry. And at age, I think it was age four, they would run up to me and they would try to kick me in the shin. And it took all of me not to laugh because 
it's not hard to dodge the like kicking of a four-year-old. Like it just wasn't hard, right? Well, what does a parent do in that situation? Do they stop telling the kid no because it upsets them? Or do you do correction in that moment? Because you understand that they can't grow up to be a 30-year-old who's going to kick people in the shins every time they don't get their way. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just common sense. What do you do? Genuine love corrects. When Paul's talking about hating what is evil and clinging to what is good, he is talking about a truth that is outside of us. In the framework of Scripture, that there's a good God who's created a good world and there is a moral order. And so Paul is saying this, and this is perhaps one of the most challenging pieces for me personally in this passage, because it says this, any love that fails to confront is really not love at all. That is so different than what our modern world says, is it not? In other words, there are moments in relationships where there's genuine love in which we, are willing, we, in which we need to be willing to confront, even at the risk of losing the beloved in the short run, if it'll help them out. This is a tough love. You know, I say this, I need to put it aside on this one, because I feel like some people can, you know, all of a sudden you hear this and it's like, I'm just going to go guns a-blazing at somebody for what I see. It's not what happens in the midst of a community orbiting around this gospel. We'll talk about this in a moment, but this is a, this is a, a tough love, but it's also a tender love. I mean, think about Jesus. He talks about taking the, taking the speck out of their eye while you there's a plank in your own eye, right? There's this dynamic of a humility that we engage one another with. It's a dynamic of, of just wisdom and prayerful compassion. I would, just two resources that have been really helpful for me would be Instruments in Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp, wonderful resource on doing this well. And then side by side, it's a, it's a book by Ed Welch. You can't go in that today, but wonderful books that really help equip and help train these sorts of relationships. But let me just offer a real practical suggestion. As we kind of launch city groups in September, and some of you are already in them in some, in some capacity right now, um, what we hope in those city groups is to cult cultivate relationships in which this kind of love can happen. Right? Like it's, it's not going to be week one over dinner like you're confronting somebody. Let's just get that off the table, right? That's not what we do. But it's that over time as you walk together and eat together and share life together and you're in each other's lives, that there could actually be relationships here. And, and this would be, let me put it this way, this is what I'd love to see is this, is where there could be people in your life where you could say honestly, because there's enough trust there, you could say honestly, hey, if you, do you see anything in my life right now that is just off? Do you, like, just to be honest with you, I, I, I ask this with my wife. We have that kind of a relationship. I'm not saying every marriage has that type of relationship, but, but for us, like, I can say, hey, babe, like, anything. 
And the great thing is she's, she's you know, she knows me more than anybody, right? So that's the, that's the vulnerable part. Um, but she's also wise about it. And she's tender about it. Who might that be for you? Maybe you have that in your life. Maybe you don't have that in your life. But our hope would be that this would be a church where you could have those kind of relationships because we need each other. Right? So this genuine love, it's an unhypocritical love toward one another that is both tough and tender. So what does genuine love do? The first thing says this, verse 10, be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. Notice how gritty and challenging and compelling this love is to look like. Uh, In the church, we are to love each other like our own families. One pastor unpacking this put it this way, love at church should resemble the love at work in a healthy family. In a healthy family, you don't give up on your sibling if they develop a problem. Parents become needy in their old age. You don't say, well, I just don't have space for that in my life right now, mom and dad. In a family, the problems experienced by one family member become the problem of every family member. Emotionally, physically, financially. You're devoted, you walk with them. What might happen as we step into city group life together, if you begin to practice this. Can I tell you one of the challenges with this? Um, several years ago, when we were at the Vine, before we were going to be launched out to plant Redeemer City, we were sitting down with a couple. Um, they had, like, multiple kids, and um, they began to share about their, their, their city group experience. And they were just not that, like, excited about it. <laughs> and um, they said, it's just hard to connect with people. Um, there's not a whole lot of people like in our stage of life, it's kind of like older, younger, but not really here. We're not really connected with these people. And we can ask questions and uh, begin to find out that where they had come from was a season in which they were able as young newly marrieds to be in a group with only young newly marrieds. And it was one of those seasons where it was just amazing because you connected with these people because of the stage of life. It was just remarkable. You had all this in common, you're learning, fumbling, And what happened was, is they brought that experience into this group experience. Listen, genuine love, listen, there's nothing wrong with affinity. It's great, wonderful. Do it, find people like you, and so forth. But let me tell you what, where genuine love really gets lived out, it's in situations where maybe you don't have all that much in common. I mean, the counsel for these people is just, hey, Keep showing up. Keep loving. Keep serving. And listen, they may not become your best friends. We're not saying they have to be your best friends. But this is actually the place where you work it out. Stay devoted. Don't check out. In other words, think about this for a moment. Just real practically. In city group life, it's kind of practical, but just, you know, in one sense, like, just be faithful and show up. Even on nights you don't want to be there. (laughs) I don't know. Right? Bake some food. Um, on nights where it's like, I don't know what COVID's going to do in the next, you know, six weeks. Maybe it goes to Zoom for a couple weeks or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen. But it means be devoted. Like, show up even on Zoom in those really uncomfortable moments in which you just see tiles of faces. I mean, it's not ideal. But like, these are expressions of being devoted to one another. 
Uh, Richard Newhouse puts it this way. He says, real community is the discipline and devotion of disparate people bearing with one another in the hard task of love. I love that quote because, listen, genuine love is not easy. It is really hard when you show up and there's nothing in it for you. Does that make sense? When there's nothing in it that's going to enhance your life. Secondly, Paul says this, outdo one another in showing honor. This is what genuine love does. Outdo one another in showing honor. And this means to, to treat someone as valuable and precious. Rooted in a statement are just the deep implications of what the theological expression, the imago Dei, that all people are created in the image of God. And by that very nature, they have intrinsic dignity. It doesn't matter their color of their skin, their socioeconomic standing, their political affiliation, whatever it might be, it means you outdo them in showing honor. In other words, as one pastor put it, in your actions with them, you communicate this, that, that they matter to God and that they matter to you. One of the things um, this last year in our city group, and of course this is all in the midst of, of you know, COVID world, so we're like all on you know, the tile thing with Zoom. And um, one of the things we did, that's probably the best thing we did, is we asked the question, how do we love each other like family? You know? And somebody came up with the idea to like, well, we should all know our birthdays. I mean, who doesn't know their birthday as a family? So we, we like listed out all the birthdays, even kids. I mean, so we had the kids' birthdays. And I'm not going to name names, but I'm, true story. This past year, there is someone in our city group who has baked something of dessert for each person on their birthday, including kids. Every time. And by the way, it's amazing. And if you want to join our city group, maybe you can. Because, I mean, it is insane how good this stuff is. It, it, she, and she's so particular about it. She'll find out what, what thing you really like. What is that an expression of? It's that you matter to, you matter to them. That you matter to God. That's so small, right? I mean, let's put it this way. I'm not going to bake anything for you. That'd be horrible, right? Just, I mean, it's not. I, you wouldn't know if you mattered to God or not after that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not horrible. I mean, anyway. And think about this for a moment. What, what might happen, like if on our Sunday gathering, if in our city group life, those who are older, those who are younger, those who are single, those who are married, those who are black, white, brown, as they encountered a community, they walked away with one thing. They knew they mattered. I mean, I don't know about you, but think about that. Like, forget all the promotional stuff. I don't care about that. Like, if we can just do that, like that's, I mean, how much does our world need that right now? So where do we get the resources to live this out? I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's, it's a hard task, right? I hope you understand up front, like, you can't do it. So, so where do we get the resources to live it out? We've talked about this in this series. This series is really in the context of the book of Romans. And at chapter 12, there is a turn. And look at what it says in verses 1 and 2. 
Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that therefore is a turn. The first 11 chapters were all predominantly about who God is and what he has done in the person and work of Jesus. And the rest of the book is in light of that, how do you live? So how does that connect to this moment? Let me put it this way. Do you know the genuine love that God has shown you? Let me recap it for you. His love is a genuine love, for he doesn't love us because we have met a certain standard. Right? He doesn't love us because we have earned a certain spot. The Romans is clear. We are fallen and we are sinful. And we are lost. And yet his love is there. It's all by grace. It's undeserved. It's counter-conditional. It's not transactional. His love is a genuine love. It's committed to truth. It abhors what is evil. It holds fast to what is good. How does he do it? Justice and mercy. In one sense, mercy, because he pours out on his son on the cross for our sins. He puts himself in our place. That's how he deals with truth and justice, to give us mercy. And in light of that, he changes us from the inside out because he convicts us by his spirit as we put our trust in him and changes us because he loves us. I mean, think about a genuine love that is devoted. Where else do you see a God so, devo so devoted, a God who actually, in one sense, outdoes us in showing honor because we see actually how valuable we are, how valuable we are to him and that he would send his son. He's willing to humble himself in the person of Jesus in order to welcome us home. See, and this is, see, those truths, and again, those are just my words in light of Romans, thinking about what he's done for us, thinking about this passage. As you work that out, like this is how it hits brass tacks. When you come across that person, not the one that's easy to love, but the one that's hard to love, this is what has to happen. When you come across someone who's wronged you, when you come across someone who's hurt you, or whom you disagree with, or just rubs you the wrong way, Here's the prayerful gospel dependence we're called to. Something like this. Oh Lord, I have offended you so much more than this person has to me. You gave up your life for me. And all I need is to give up some time and effort for this person. You see how it's right there in that moment. We understand how hard it is to love them. You understand in a blink how in one sense, even immeasurably more, God's love is for you because you understand you're, you don't even come close to this and yet it's there. That's how it hits. Frederick Buechner has this amazing quote about just this love and, and listen to it. <clears throat> he writes this, the love for equals is a human thing. A friend for friend, brother for brother, it is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely, this is compassion and it touches the heart of the world. 
To love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich or the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torture. This is God's love. It conquers the world. Listen, if you're not a Christian this morning, do you know about God's love for you? Do you understand? In one sense, you're an enemy of His. But you understand what He's done for you in light of that, the personal work of Jesus. And that by putting your trust in that work, in Him, He welcomes you home. Do you know that type of love? You can come home. In church, close with this. There's someone of a legend um, of John the Apostle. And it was when he was a very old man. It's kind of like the last sermon he ever preached. He's carried into the church. And he said this, little children love one another. And then he just said it again and again and again, over and over again. And some of the people thought it was the remarks of a silly, senile old man. But others understood that his sermon was his life's reflection on the meaning of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, in light of the genuine love God has shown you and has shown me, let us love one another with this kind of love. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that where we have failed, you are faithful. Even when we've tried hard, you're still there. Thank you that your mercy is um, always there. It does not, does not faint. Thank you that your love toward us is not a fictional love that just kind of breezes over who we are, but you know us even through and through, even deeper than we know ourselves, and you don't run. Please help us. By the power of your spirit to live in light of that love. Amen.